0: Amen. It's good. I uh, just want to say a special hello to those watching on Facebook, because that's where my mom is. Hey, Mom. And uh, and the guys at Station 8 at Firehouse, I want to say hi to those guys as well. Appreciate them tuning in. I love that we have that technology that allows us to uh, to watch from a place where we're working or away and don't live here and that kind of thing. But also what I want to tell you is this. I want to tell you Happy New Year cover of your bulletin says it to you right there. Happy New Year. I am I, grateful that you have come to celebrate the New Year with us, and that's good. And you're thinking, Alan, something is wrong with you, and you would not be the first person to think that. Um, the reality is it's not January 1st, but September 1st is like a second New Year for us. It really is. Summer ends, school starts, Everything kind of starts over. It's fresh and new. And we kind of hit the reset button here. It's the only other time we do it. And I'm thinking, why wait till January before we start learning new things and doing new things and having these things here? Because we've kind of done that. It's 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 a fresh start. It's a fresh way to do that. And so what I want to do is talk about that and, and how it is. My word for 2019 is new. And, that, and I knew that there was going to be a lot, N-E-W, by the way, not K-N-E-W, or G-N-U. Um, none of those were my word. But 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 new is my word for the year, and, and I got a definition of it. I looked it up, so it would help me. And here's the definition of new. New describes things that have not existed or have not been known or seen before. Something recently made, grown, or built. Or recently found, invented, or discovered. There's a whole lot of things to that. It's like, okay, that's a big definition of new. Uh, Give me an example. Let me understand new better. I'll give you an example. There was an example of this yesterday, of something new. Texas won their first game of the season. Like, that's new. And uh, you're saying, no, no, that's happened before, Alan. Well, I'll just tell you this. Approximately 1.2 million people have been born in the state of Texas since September 4th, 2016, Last time Texas won their first game of the season. I just want you to be aware of that. That 1.2 million people have never seen that before. It's brand new to them and all of that. Um, but a win's a win. We'll take it, right? And so uh, that's good. Don't worry. Later in the year, I'll take a crack at A&M too. But uh, we'll, just, we'll start with that. Also... Uh, the, the Baseball Hall of Fame this year, very interestingly enough, every year they induct new members into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, this year, for the first time ever, 130 years of it existing, uh, they inducted someone for the first time with 100% of the vote. Uh, Mariano Rivera was voted on, hundred uh, how many were there, 425 ballots, and he was on every one of them. That's never happened before. It was a brand new thing. And so, it's not like new things don't happen. New things are always happening in our lives um, that are there and, and, and having to do that. Let me ask this. We started school. How many of you got a new shirt, new shoes, new clothes for school? Anybody get new? Anything new? Yeah, I have, I have a new shirt. Thank you, Huggies. Appreciate that. Um, but that, does anybody go to a new school this year as a student or a teacher? Yeah, you got new school experiences that are there. Anybody playing a new sport or join a new club? Anybody? We got, see, we got a few of those doing that right there. Um, Anybody have a new job or want a new job? Sherry, don't you raise your hand back there. Um, and, uh, and so, there's, there's all these new things that are, that are going on. This year so far, I've done three weddings, and I have three more weddings to do by the end of the year. Those, you talk about new, there's brand new right there, when you get to go and, and do a wedding for people like that. Our new men's groups, as Brett talked about, are starting, uh, uh, next week. Our ladies' groups starting this week, those are new. I wanna start this week. There's a lot. See, Happy New Year! Look at all the new things that are going on and it's, it's a great thing to experience these, these new things and a lot of times we can just overlook them and not see the significance of them. Um, like I said, my word for the year is new and it's held some, some new things for me. Some that I knew about, some that I didn't know about, as always is the case. For example, my son Colby is in high school. That, that is new. He also wears a fanny pack. And, uh, <laughs> see, I knew the high school thing was coming. The fanny pack thing caught me totally off guard. All right, son, you, you wear that fan. My daughter, Molly, came into the youth group this year as a seventh grader. She's a new seventh grader. I, for the last 15 years, I've had a kid in kids' ministry, and that's not true anymore. It's a new season. It's a new territory for me um, in all this. Colby, Colby is learning to drive. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I I think a fanny pack might be more distracting than a phone. When you're like, can you learn to drive with a fanny pack? I don't know. Um, but that's that's kind of what. And then, then my, my sweet daughter. Come here. This is, this is my sweet daughter, Molly. She's awesome. Oh, look at that. Round of applause for this. I, I love my baby girl. And she's awesome. But she's in youth group now. And uh, she's taller than she used to be. And uh, I also know that there's going to be some smelly boy. I'm not looking at anybody particular that's going to start liking my little girl. And that'll lead to some new conversations, mostly with the boys. And uh, I will have that because I want you to know you look at her and you see this beautiful young lady. I look at her and this is what I see right here, (sighs) see, I love you. I love you so much. All right. Go sit by your mom. Don't sit by boys. And, uh, and so. Uh, that's, that's new, uh, in my life right there. And this is something I'm gonna have to learn in, in doing that. Uh, many of you other parents totally get what I'm talking about, uh, in that arena of life that's there. Personally, in my own life even, there's, if I'm being as transparent as I can be, there's personal struggles in this too. It's brand new because six weeks ago, for the first time ever, my age didn't start with a four. (sighs) I know, right? And see, but listen, not all of me is 50. See, my hips are only one, like, so I got young hips, so we can, and hips don't lie. So we're, we're, we're good with that. But so some new things, super exciting, some new things a little bit more scary, right? Some we look forward to, some we dread, Um, but they're all new. What does God say about new things? Like, what is his response to this? If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Isaiah 43. We're going to be in a few different places, but we're going to start in Isaiah 43, verse 16. And then we'll jump to 18 and 19, and we'll hear what God says in this. It says, this is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. See, I haven't even spoken yet. But it says, this is what the Lord says. Now, before I tell you what the Lord says, I need to remind you who the Lord is. Just in case you forgot, because a lot of people say a lot of things. And -and so-and-so said this, and -and so-and-so said this, and whatever. The Lord said this, and so let me remind you of how important it is that we listen to the things the Lord says. So I'm going to remind you who the Lord is. Don't forget, He's the one who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. You remember when you were trapped, and there were people coming after you, and there was this giant sea, and He had to part the waters, and there was dry land, and you walked all across that, and it wasn't like ten people walking across. There's millions of people walking, an entire nation of people going. Do you remember... When the Lord says something, it's the same guy that did this for you. It's the guy that parted the waters, that created a safe place for you to go, that created a way for you to go. He he didn't leave you just like, all right, you're rescued out of Egypt, but figure it out yourself, I hope you swim well. He parted the waters. He made a way in the mighty sea. He He created this for them. So lest you forget who he is, let me remind you who he is. Now you will listen to him a little bit better. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty water says this, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, now we could stop right there and have a time of confession and repentance for most of us in here. When God says, forget the former things, don't dwell on the past, but we camp out there too often. We live labeled by what we've done or what's been done to us instead of what God has for us. And he says, don't dwell on that past. Forget those things. There's so many new things for you. I have so much for you. Yeah, you may have blown it a few times, but the best is yet to come. Don't give up on that. This is what the Lord is saying. Forget those former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, he's telling you to look. See, I am doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. What are you looking at? You know, there's a reason that the windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror. We spend time looking at the rearview mirror and wonder why our car ends up in a ditch. Because we're not supposed to focus on the past. We learn from it, but we focus on the windshield. So then he says, now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Now it's, this new thing is happening right in front of you. It's popping up in front of you. But if you're spending all your time looking backwards, you're not going to see what's right in front of you. It's time to quit looking backwards and start looking up past our circumstances into the stratosphere of all the things that God has for us. That's the truth. And he's telling you, do you not perceive it? Do you not understand it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Now, my guess is every single one of us in here have felt like we've been at times in the wilderness. We've had our wilderness moments where we felt lost. We felt overwhelmed. We felt like we didn't want to go on anymore. It was a wasteland. I'm wasting time. I'm wasting money. I'm wasting energy. I'm wasting effort. I'm wasting all these things. I might as well have throw in the towel and quit. Lest we forget who he is again. The same guy that made a way for the sea, for them to walk through, is the same guy I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Don't you think if I can part the waters when you don't need it, I can bring the waters when you do? This is who God is. It's not our opinion. It's not our picture of him. The scriptures tell us this is who he is. And we have to be reminded because we forget so much because we get our eyes stuck on our circumstances. And I'm just as guilty as anybody in here, if not more. And man, it hurts my heart when I do that because I'm doubting God and I'm taking my eyes off of him. And, and he says, I've got new things for you. I'm doing a new thing. And I'm continually doing a new thing. And the new thing I did last year is last year's new thing. So it makes it an old thing and you need a new thing. That's why it's Happy New Year. We could do this every day. Happy New Year. If we're really walking with Jesus the way we're supposed to, man, this just just hits me in the heart with this stuff. And so he says this now, I want you to flip over to second Corinthians 517, because here's another tr- uh, statement that he's making. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, OK, first we find out who God is, what he's capable of doing, what he has done. Now it says, if anyone is in Christ, which means Christ is in them, because it goes both ways in that you don't just show up in Christ. He shows up in you, too. So if you are in Christ, which means I have received what he's done, I have a relationship with him, not religion, not showing up in a building, but I have a living, breathing relationship with God because I know what he did because I'm a sinner and I blew it and I messed up and something had to pay for that because the wages of that sin is death and I'm supposed to pay that price. And God says, time out. My son will pay that price for you. And he sent him down and he lived a perfect life for 33 years. Got on a cross, brutally murdered, stuck in a grave. Three days later, he gets up from the grave. If anyone is in Christ, is in that man. Not if anyone is in church. Doesn't say that. If anyone is in debt. If anyone is in a happy place. If anyone is in America. If anyone is in Texas. It's not what it says. If anyone is in Christ. Because He is the transformer. He's the one that changes. So therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what? The new creation has come. Here's the new thing. But there's a, there's a beginning to that. If you are in Christ, the new has come. If you are not, the old decays. It rots. It stinks. It's unpleasant. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And see, so he said new twice in there and old once. He's emphasizing the new to take our focus off the old. But you've got to be in Christ. That's the choice that has to be made if anyone is in Christ. Now, then we move on to uh, Colossians chapter 3. And I want to grab that. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to start at the beginning. And this is where we're going to hang out for a little bit. in these, these 14 verses here, Colossians 3. And this is Good. So get ready and listen loudly. Colossians 3 1. Since then, You have been raised with Christ. Okay, so now we've gone from he set us free from captivity, whether it's from Egypt or whether it's from our own sin. And then if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. So now this newness is here. What happens since then? You have been raised with Christ. So now you've been through not only just living for him, you're dying to yourself so you can be raised with Christ, which we'll get to in just a second because it talks about it here. Since you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Now, that's a challenge right there. Set your hearts on things above. Set your mind on, on, on not on things above, not on earthly things. When you set something, you intentionally put it somewhere. Every one of you set your booties down in that chair intentionally. You set yourself in this room. You set your drink down. You set your keys down. You set your phone down. You set, you set things down on purpose. And you put them in a place. And now God is challenging us here. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated. Set your mind on things above. See, because... When we set our, our heart and our mind on things above and we look to where Christ is there, and it's amazing what happens when we when we, we turn our eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Like that should be a song. And that is good. So where are you looking? Where are your eyes? Because he's challenging you to to intentionally move your heart away from your circumstances. Away from the things that the enemy is attacking with. Away from the stuff that pulls you away and demands your time and sucks your energy out of you. And makes you unable to love God and love others the way that we're supposed to. Set your heart on things above where Christ is. Set your mind on things above. Get your mind out of dwelling on the past. Dwelling on what's wrong. There's very few things we get to control in our lives. Our attitude and our thoughts are two of them. And how we respond to them. See, we get to choose that. And so he's saying, take your heart and intentionally set it towards heaven. Take your, your mind and intentionally set it towards heaven. And when you do those things, new things are coming. Look what happens. It says, verse 3, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Like, when you hide something... Can you see it? No, because it's hidden. That's why it's called hidden. And Jesus says, I invite you to hide yourself in me. Don't hide yourself in your mistakes. Don't hide yourself in your past. Don't be defined by what other people say about you. Hide yourself in me. Then no one can see me. See you. They see me. That's that's the offer he's giving you here. Come hide yourself in me. I'll be that safe place. I'll be the thing that that you need in that. So your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. It's like, all right, this is tough. I'm hiding behind Christ. All right. And then when it's over, boom, I'm in heaven. Hey, surprise. Like that's when we get to appear. And we get to appear with new bodies and new hope and new eternity. And that's all for us. And we're supposed to experience that here, not just there. We don't suck it up to get through here so we can get there. He came to give us life and life abundant here. Hide our life in Christ, our circumstances, everything. Then he gives us a whole lot more challenges because this is tough. So if we if we are raised with Christ and we're alive in Christ, then something has to die. Verse five. Put to death, therefore, and listen, it doesn't say put aside, put outside, put away, lock in the garage. It does it says put to death. And too often we play with these things like they're toys and we think we can put them away. They're not going to hurt us. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Here they are. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Boom. That's heavy stuff. And you're thinking, well, that's that, other people do that. Not me. Wrong. We're all guilty because every single one of these sins are about you. That's the difference here. Every one of these are about you. And God says, make it about him. And so when we do this and say, well, sexual immorality and impurity and lust, well, I don't do those things. If God Bible says if you think it in your mind, it's as though you did it. Like, we're all guilty. And, and we tend to rate things based on what we've done. We tend to elevate sins that we don't struggle with. Because sins that I don't do are much worse because you do them. But don't talk about the sins that I do because then it gets a little too personal. He says, take care of all of these, put to death these things. Then verse six, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. There should be a little bit of fear in that. There should be some fear in that. You used to walk in these ways. See, God, God's already believing in you. He already says you used to do those things. I recognize that you did those things. I understand that you did those things. You're broken people. Sin entered the world. Adam and Eve blew it in the garden for us way back in the day. And sin has continued on until this day. And it's just as bad because the cost is still the same as it was for Adam and Eve. It is for us. It's death. And so he says the wrath is coming and you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Once lived, not currently live. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Part two. Wasn't it bad enough we got part one? And now God brings the hammer. Part two. Here we go. <sighs> anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. See, now, now those, like maybe these other ones, you're like, ah, those are kind of distant. Ah, that's not really for me so much. But anger, rage, malice, slander. When my kids are jerks, what comes out of my mouth? Whether it's your kids or the kids you teach or the kids you coach or the people that you're around, God takes all those excuses and throws them away. He says, filthy language from your lips. Now, a lot of times we just equate that with cussing. So you say cuss words and all this kind of stuff. I will tell you what's worse than that is when you throw a label on somebody and tell them what they are. Because that's not what they are. And when we tell our kids you're a liar because they lied to you, you are cursing your kids. That is filthy language from your mouth. They're not a liar. They are a child of God who told a lie. And that seems like semantics. It seems like no big deal. But I promise you, I've been working with teenagers for 30 years that live under the labels that people in authority in their life have called them. And it's not true. That's filthy language. We do not speak those things to people made in the image of Christ. That is not okay. And we've got to choose that what comes out. And we can't justify it because they were a jerk. Well, yeah, they're a jerk. They don't even have a full brain yet until they're 25. How do you expect them to act like that? Think about what you were when you were 17. You don't want to show them pictures and videos of that. I don't want to show my kids that. Because I wasn't developed either. I was a knucklehead, man. I'm glad there was no social media when I was in high school. I'll put it that way. Um, But these are the things that you have to get rid of. Like put to death. Get rid of these things. And then he piles on just one more time. Verse 9. Do not lie to each other. But lying is so easy to do. Like, it's just so easy about little things. You know? Did you clean your room? Well, yeah, I'm going to, but... I, uh, and so we lie. I shoved everything under the bed. Like, yeah, that's kind of a lie, right? Or, or what if, like, hey, honey, do these pants make me look fat? See? You, uh, the correct answer is, listen, you are hidden in Christ, and I can't even see you. I, I, I love you. I like that. That's the right answer. And uh, you're welcome, guys. And so you just got a new line. See, new. Happy New Year right there. See, so we, we have don't lie to each other. Don't mislead. Don't speak things that aren't true. Here's why. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator, which is God. We are to take off the old self. We've got to get rid of those things. We've got to remove those things. We've got to, to get naked before God and throw all these things off. And that, that takes work because now you become vulnerable. Because it's easy to cover up with anger or lies or hurt or deceit or those things that make us feel better because it makes us feel protected when all it does is make us feel heavy. And he says, throw that off. You, you, have got to take that stuff off your old self with its practices. Like, but man, I'm, I'm really good at those things. Do you know how you become bad at those things? You quit practicing them. Why do the, why do the kids have to go to practice all the time? Football season is not Friday night only. See, this stuff happens on Friday night because of what they went through Monday through Friday morning. And if they don't practice, then they're not going to be very good. So if you don't want to be good at these things to get rid of, then quit practicing them. Quit making them a habit. Quit making them a default. Take that stuff off and then put on the new self, which is being renewed. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. He is here. He is with us and gives us the power we need to overcome this stuff if we will walk in it. But we call him in desperate times instead of walking with him from the beginning. Let's quit making him our last option and make him our first resort. Like, let's do that. Let's change that. So if you have this new self, you're supposed to put on this new self. What does that even look like? How do we do that? Well, we continue with verse 12 like this. What do we put on? Therefore, as God's chosen people. Now, look at that. Huh? That's quite a compliment that God himself, the creator of everything, says, I choose you. And who is you that he's choosing? The things that were made in his image. It's not the zebras or the cows. It's not the sports. It's not the mascots. It's you and me. We are his chosen people. He has chosen us. And the thing is, we're all his kids because God doesn't have grandkids. And so we're all made in his image. It's amazing how we can all look so different on the outside. But according to God, we're made in his image and we look like him. Then we go distorting it because we put on these things that don't look like Jesus. And he says, take them off, man, because you are God's chosen people. Then he calls you this holy. Holy means set apart, different, not like everybody else. You, you are chosen, made in His image, knit together in your mother's womb, made on purpose and for a purpose, made in His image for that, and He has chosen you for a great thing right here. Then He calls you holy, says you're set apart. There's something significant for you. And then the next words, dearly loved, not just kind of liked, not just click, not just I'll follow you on Twitter. That's not what it is. God dearly loves you. Like intimately, closely, passionately loves you. You are his treasure. You're his masterpiece. You're his greatest work. I mean, he has given you everything he's got for you. And we're like, well, I'm kind of terrible. Well, I don't deserve that. I don't. You're right, we don't. But he still gives it anyway. Anyway. Like, that's the great thing about God. And so he says this as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves. I'm not going to leave you naked. I'm not going to leave you out there by yourself. Take off all these bad things and go figure it out while you're running around naked. That's not what God's asking. He says, I'm going to give you something that will give you like a suit of armor. It will give you an opportunity for here. So he says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Hmm. Those are hard. Why are they hard? Because they're not about me anymore. They're about other people. See, you weren't created for you. You were created for God and his glory. And you're created to help other people become like him too. And that involves compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Every single one of those, in order to get better at those, you have to interact with other people. You don't do this in isolation. You do this together. And that's going to be new for some of us. To actually have this compassion and kindness and humility. Humility is a big one. Because we're arrogant Texans. Gentleness, patience. I've I've read these somewhere else in the Bible. Oh yeah, fruits of the Spirit. These are the evidence things. These aren't things that make you weak. They're things that make you like Christ. And he overcame death. That doesn't make you weak. It makes you strong. It makes you able to do things that other people aren't willing to do. Man, that's huge stuff right there. Then it goes on, verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Ah, man, say forgive me. Ah, yeah, it's cool. It's okay. I'm going to ignore you and never talk to you again. That's not forgiving. When you forgive someone, a definition of forgiveness is willing to pay the price for someone else's sin. Ah, I hate that one. But he says very clearly, forgive as the Lord forgave you. How did the Lord forgive us? He paid the price for our sin. So if we're going to forgive, that means we're willing to pay the price for someone else's sin. Does that mean it's okay with what they did? Absolutely not. Does that mean we go back to that hurtful place? Absolutely not. But it says, I will not let that dominate my mind. It will not be in the forefront of my mind. It will not trigger me every single day. I will walk in that because you do not deserve to have the front place in my mind because that's reserved for God. And I will give it to him every single day and I will deny myself and I will walk in this confidence of forgiving. And, and unforgiveness all it does is hurt you. You know that. And so he tells us to forgive like that. Forgiveness also means giving up all hope of ever having a better past. You give up all hope of ever having a better past because you can't change it. It's that rearview mirror windshield thing again. Quit looking in the, the rearview mirror. The windshield is created for you to know where you're going, not where you've been in that. Okay, man, see, this is so hard because it hits me right in the heart. Then he wraps it up, puts a bow on it like this. Fourteen. All and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Wow. Love wins the day. What's the greatest command of the South? God, what's the greatest thing we can ever do? He said, love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest thing we can do, love God and love others. And that's what binds all these other things together. Without love, none of these other things happen. They don't happen ever without it. You're like a, a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. That's so annoying. It's like middle school orchestra warming up like that's that's what it is without love It is it is bad. And so he's challenging us in this to say on all these virtues, put on love. That's the overcoat that covers it all up. Because it's done and your motivation comes from love, which is why you can have compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. And if I think back again, there's a whole half chapter in First Corinthians 13 that says love is patient, love is kind, love... Hmm. All of those things right here. Love is gentle. It all comes from that. That's the virtue to put on over all of it. And it doesn't mean love yourself. It means love God and love others and what's happening there. That brings it perfect unity. So... My question is this, what new things are happening for you and for me? If you have these new clothes that you're putting on, and kindness and compassion and humility, and overall you're putting the overcoat of love on, and so you're fully dressed and ready to go, what are you going to do with that right now? What is the new step you need to take? Well, for some of us, the new step we need to take is to take off the old stuff first. We've been carrying that crud way too long. You've got pent up anger and unforgiveness and hurt and all these things. Regret, shame that the enemy comes and speaks to you and says, that's always going to be who you are. Bull, it's not. It's never been who you are. It's what you did. You've always been a child of God, bought with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, paid the price for you. That's who you are. Quit believing the lies that say you're something different. Do you make mistakes? Yes. Does that make it okay? No. Does it make you forgiven? Yes. But get the stuff off. Quit practicing that. So that may be the first step you have to do is taking that off and enter into a relationship with God for the first time. I mean, if you're sitting here you're like, man, I know a lot about God up here, but I've never asked him into my life. or I've made the great exchange my life for his life. Maybe that's your new step today. You're going to have a chance to do that at the end. Exchange your life for the life of Christ and change all of eternity for that. Maybe the next step you need to do is, is confession and repentance. You're like, yeah, I accepted Christ. I know I'm going to heaven, but man, I've been living like hell. So I need to confess and repent some things. And you need to come to this altar and you need to drop it here and you need to leave it. You need to let somebody just pray over you. You need to confess and repent. The Bible says confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. And that doesn't mean gossip to other people. It means find a trusted adult, someone that you believe in, that you can go and share that with. That's, that's what it is. Maybe you need to take that next step of obedience of baptism. Maybe you've walked with God for a long time, but you don't want to get in front of other people and get wet like that ain't happening in my life. Well, maybe you need to do that. Maybe your obedience is going to help someone else get obedient. And we're, we're having baptism class two weeks from today. That's awesome. And we're baptizing September 29th. Right there. Pulling the big screen down. Dunking people. Come on. Is that you? Do you need to take that step? Because we're ready to go and make that happen. So come talk to us about it. Do that kind of thing that's there. Maybe your next step is this. You need to quit coming just to big church and find a community group. Maybe you need to get in a small group. Oh, then I've got to talk to people. I'd rather just let you yell at me, Alan. That ain't enough. This stuff goes away, man. You need that refresher. You don't, you don't go to the gas station and drive around the pump and think you're going to fill up and then leave. That's what going to big churches is, is driving around the gas pump, but not letting yourself get filled up, get in a group. Brett would love to talk to you about community group, whether it's, it's, it's our Bible fellowship hour right before this, or there's midweek groups all over the place and quit making excuses and start making a difference. And let's get in a community group together. Let's do life together where we can talk about these things and how we throw off the old and how we put on the new. These are healthy conversations because we all need to do it. Nobody's better than anybody else. So maybe that's your next step that's in there that you need to do on that. Maybe your next step is just to step up or maybe step back up again and fight for the hearts of the next generation. Because I believe everybody has a calling and an obligation to continue to pour into the next generation. And some of you are going to get ticked off of me when I say this, but I don't care. Um, I care. I don't. I do care. Because I'm going to get my feelings hurt with an email or something. But you don't outgrow loving the next generation. Empty nest doesn't mean empty serving. It doesn't mean rally together because I did my time. I think everybody needs to, in some form or fashion, pour back into the next generation. Just a few weeks ago on Wednesday night, we had grumpy old men. I had three old guys, 70 plus years, and they told their stories to our kids. And it was amazing. They pay way more attention to those guys than they ever do me. And I'm an old guy now. Like, I'm, I'm 50. There we go again with that struggle. But... But but I think there's some way to do that. We are doing some really cool things in family ministry and kids' church. We have a desire to divide our kids' church even into smaller groups to have greater impact. In order to do that, we need more adults. It takes adults to go in there and don't say, well, they'll get the youth to go do it. Just... That's crazy. I love them, but we talked about their undeveloped brains. I love you. Like How about you guys? How about you adults that are done raising your kids? How about you come alongside a couple that's trying to figure that out? It's, it's trying to help. Like if Amy and I didn't have people to talk to about teenagers, man, it would, it would be bad at our house. <laughs> but we have some people we can call that are ahead of us in life. Like Find that spot to serve. Mandy would love to have that conversation with you. Maybe it's just once a month during this service. You're here. Why not once a month go, you know what? I'm going to go pour in the next generation. I'm going to go to love. You saw how many left. All these empty seats now because those little guys whose heads were barely sticking up. They took off. How about I go pour into them? It would be an awesome thing to do. It would help you learn how to have compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. I promise you. Come join our team in that. I want us to look at our small groups differently. And, and here's what I mean by that. I want us to look at them differently because I think we look at them with a very skewed perspective. And, and whether it's preschool, kids, students, adults, whatever. Um, Brett showed me this video, and I had to show it today. And some of you may have seen it. It's um, guy named Mitch Hedberg. I don't recommend watching all of his stuff. It's not all perfectly family-friendly, um, but he's hilarious. And so this little clip will help explain what I'm trying to get across, and then I'll I'll tell you about it. You only go to a restaurant on the weekends. It gets busy, so they got to start a waiting list. They start calling out names. They say like, Dufresne, party of two, table ready for Dufresne, party of two. And if no one answers, they'll say the name again. Dufresne, party of two. But then if no one answers, they'll just go right on to the next name. Bush, party of three. Yeah, but what happened to the Dufresnes? No one seems to care. Who can eat at a time like this? People are missing. You people are selfish. The Dufresnes are in someone's chunk right now with duct tape over their mouth. And they're hungry. That's a triple whammy. We need help. Bush, search party at three. You can eat once you find the Dufresne. Amen. But I think too often we look at our roles and we check roles to see who's there and who's not. And if the name's not there, if they're not there, we just go to the next name. We need some search parties. We need to send some people out. They showed up at some point for some reason at some point in time. Where are they? They're probably not in the back of somebody's trunk, but they might be in the back of the devil's trunk. And he's got a hold of them and we need to go rescue. How can you eat at a time like this? How can you consume God's word and go, oh, this is so good for me when people are dying? Like, it's time for us to do that. I love what Carl and Jeannie and Amy and Story did yesterday. They took the role of every single senior on our roll and went and visited every one of them yesterday. Took them a back to school bag. And, and my prayer is that they would go, man, you know, we need to come back. It has been a while. It's been too long. Let's go. I even got a text. I didn't tell you. Um, hey ma'am, sorry I haven't been there. Yeah, get here. I'd punch you in the nose. But um I'm just kidding. I would never do that. But but I think that we need to get that mindset of showing up to see who else is here to not miss who isn't, and let's go find out why. And maybe they're in another church and that's fine. That's that's okay. But they need to be walking with God in that way. Um John thirteen thirty four says this the new command is that you love one another. I mean, it's simply that. The new command is that we love one another. And maybe it's time to make some old things new. I mean, this, this is an old book. This Bible is an old book. It's been around a long time. But you know what? I want it to be new. I want to have new. I want a new prayer life. I don't want an old one. I want my marriage to be new every day with my wife. I want my relationship with my kids to be new every day. I want my youth group to be new and experience new things. I want new students to come and meet Christ. I want to see new people coming and growing. I want to see new people serving in family ministry across here. I want to see new people investing in that way. I mean, I've heard it said, you probably have too, that your Merry Christmas depends on what you get. Your Happy New Year depends on what you give. And it's time for us to have a Happy New Year. I don't want to wait till January to experience new things, because I fail then. Let's start now. September's a great time. We have a new rhythm all the way through Thanksgiving. It's awesome. And then we think, oh, I'll just do it in January when it's terrible and the weather's bad. And then we have disciple now, then spring break. And it's just, why not get in that rhythm now and be a part of it and, and experience new things by doing new things? I don't know what it is, but I'm going to challenge you to do it. Brett, you guys come on up here and, and, and I want to give you a chance to respond. And I'm, I'm going to ask you to really focus on what God is saying to you, not, not what I'm saying to you, because his word will not come back void. And, and none of you are disqualified for the new things. None of you are less than. Because of that, none of you are going to be looked at in a in a terrible way because you come up here and and do business with God. There's going to be people up here that are going to be loving to pray with you. And if you're one of those prayer people, elders and and uh, pastors and and you need to do business with God, you come do it first. Don't put on your mask and be fake. Let's be authentic together and experience the new things that God has for us, whatever that next step is. I'm going to pray, and then you're going to stand and respond. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's new every day. Your mercies are made new every morning. The opportunities you give us are new all the time. And I pray that you would forgive me for looking in the rearview mirror too much. God, I want to look at the windshield. I want to see the new things that are popping up. I want to perceive them. I don't want to just see them and avoid them. God, I want to see them and be a part of them. And so I pray that everybody in here would think through what is my next step to experience the new thing that you have for us and that we would have the guts and the strength to do it right now. No excuses. In Jesus' name, amen. You stand? Prayer team, make yourself available. Let's do business.